Welcome to God Mode, Living Life Undefeated. Join us each week as Pastor Chris delivers a message to encourage, challenge, and empower you to live life in God Mode. All messages can be listened to at www.godmode.life. Let's join today's message. Hey, everybody. Welcome to God Mode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am so happy that you're here all across the nations in the United States, too. You know, today we're starting this kind of new Brent message series. It's called The Good Work. My heart is that we'll all hear the heart of God, that we'll be stirred by a spirit to believe that he wants to do more in us and more importantly, do more through us. If you are the best of the best, the brightest in your class, the star athlete, the leader of all, God can still use you. I promise he can. It's just that our God specializes in using very ordinary, everyday people. This message is for those of you who believe deep down that you're created for something more, that you were born for a purpose, created by God to do something eternal, something that matters, something that lasts. And over the next weeks, if you're open to what the Spirit of God would say to you, I believe that God will speak very directly to some of you, give you the faith to step out and do something that outlasts you. But I want to warn you, when God uses you, it always comes with a personal cost. When you take a step of faith to do something significant, it's very likely that you'll pay a price greater than you can imagine. I must warn you, you will likely experience pain, agony, rejection, heartache, failure every now and then, loneliness, doubt, and occasional bouts with discouragement. There are times that you may stand alone. People may laugh at you, misunderstand you, make fun of you. But when your sacrifices impact another life and glorify God, you will never think about any price that you paid. Because of your faithfulness, God will be honored and people will be different. You may look like an ordinary, everyday person. You may not feel exceptionally gifted or talented, but you are the exact type of person that our God loves to use. We're going to study a person from the Old Testament over the next few weeks, an ordinary man named Nehemiah, who had a broken heart for the plight of his people. He looked at their situation, decided, I cannot sit by and do nothing. Something has to be done. It might as well be me. And so in verse 18 of chapter 2 in the book of Nehemiah, Scripture says, so they began the good work. If you're listening right now, say the good work. I mean, so they began the good work. And the title of this message series is the, the good work. And if you have faith to believe that God might speak to you and stir you to do even more, and you just want to join your heart with mine in prayer, that, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would stir us for us to believe that we could do exceedingly and abundantly more by your power to make a difference in the lives of people. God, give us the courage and the faith to step out. Would you speak to the hearts, God? Stir us. Use the gifts of those who love to make a difference in the lives of other people to glorify you in all that we do. 
We pray in this, in the name of the one who gave us the perfect work, your son, our savior, Jesus. And all God's people and everyone listening says, amen. You know, I'm calling the message by this title, when you can't take it anymore. When you can't take it anymore. We're going to look today at what in, to me is one of the most motivating, captivating, inspirational stories about an ordinary guy from the Old Testament that made an extraordinary difference. What I like about this guy is, is Nehemiah was not a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king, a prophet. He wasn't a warrior. He was an ordinary person that heard something, heard about something that broke his heart that crushed his spirit to a point where he had to do something about this. He was compelled to make a difference in the world around him. He was an ordinary guy, and if you don't know what he did for a living, he was actually known as a cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, you may say, what in the world is a cupbearer? It's a good question. In our context today, if you think of somebody who is a servant or maybe a butler, that might be equivalent of a cupbearer. But a cupbearer was an incredibly trusted role because if you can imagine, this guy had tremendous access to the king. So if the king is having a private conversation, like I think we need to attack so-and-so, the cupbearer is going to hear that information. Or if the king says, I don't like the way somebody walks. I mean, the cupbearer is going to hear that, and he's going to have to keep, keep, you know, keep that information confidential. This guy would have been very trustworthy. He would have been full of integrity, and he was incredible loyal to the king because the title of his job would often reveal one of the most important things the cupbearer would do. If you can imagine, in this time in history, there were plots just like many parts of our world today to overthrow a kingdom. And so sometimes people would try to attempt to take the king's life, right? Well, the cupbearer would do, among other things, is the cupbearer would be the only person to taste the wine before the king would actually drink the wine to see if the wine was poisoned or not. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm this guy tasting the wine, I'm wanting a, a job with good insurance, some real benefits, because any one time it goes bad, then you're kind of out of a job or maybe even out of a life. So this guy was an ordinary person, not in a role of status, but in the role of a servant attending to the needs of the king. One day, Nehemiah just had an ordinary day, kind of like you would have had maybe what's considered an ordinary day today. And he hears a conversation from somebody that moves him to a place that he had never been before. Here's how the story goes in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judea with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So here we're having a conversation between Nehemiah and his brother, and he says, tell me about our people. Tell me about our homeland. Now, the reason Nehemiah is asking about this because about 140 years prior to this moment, in the year 586 B.C., the Babylons, under the rule of the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, attacked the Jewish people and completely demolished their city, their life, their culture, in a way that's very, very difficult to describe. If you've ever heard of Solomon's temple, it was gone, wiped away, burned to the ground. Every building was now in rubble. 
The gates to the city which formed protection were burned. Almost everyone that they knew was now without a job and without any kind of hope. And so the evil Babylons then took the Jewish people captive. They took them away from their homeland and they held them in bondage for a long time. If you can imagine, the Jewish people felt demoralized, felt completely hopeless. What are we going to do? We have no homeland. Our life is over. Decades later, imagine this, decades later, 50,000 Jews or so moved back to Jerusalem to rebuild. We're going to rebuild the city that we love, our homeland. We're going to try to make it a better future. The problem is they couldn't get anything moving and they found themselves stalled in a complete dead end. That's when the brother said to Nehemiah in, in verse 3, those who survived the exile are back in the providence and they are in great trouble and disgrace. Why? Because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, with no wall, with no gates, there's absolutely no protection from outside forces that would surely be attacking. It was, it was impossible to rebuild. There's already no jobs, no economic system, no leadership, no direction, no confidence. With no protection, there's no plan. Therefore, there's no hope whatsoever. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you see something that breaks your heart and you know there is a good work that needs to be done and you think perhaps you're supposed to be part of that good work? What do you do when you see something that bothers you deeply and you can't take it anymore? I want to give you three thoughts about how to begin your good work. The first thing we see Nehemiah do is what you may end up doing at some point in your life. What do you do? Number one is you actually sit down to cry. You sit down and let whatever it is, the injustice in the world, actually break your own heart. You can see this in verse 4, Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, when I heard about the devastation, when I heard about the hopelessness of my people, he says, I sat down and wept. It crushed me. It broke my heart. What's so interesting to me is to think about where Nehemiah was when he heard this news. He was about a thousand miles away from his homeland, and he was actually living a pretty good and comfortable life in the palace. Think about it. This guy's eating the same food the king eats. This is good stuff. He's, he's watching the same shows the king is watching on his 4K TV. I mean, this guy is probably posting selfies every now and then, just serving the king, hashtag blessed to serve. This guy is living a completely comfortable life. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my comfort, I can be scrolling across some news story on my phone or looking across some prayer request that comes in, and I think, oh, that's too bad. Sucks to be them. I mean, they're a long ways away. I know it's bad, but what can I do about it? I'm living a comfortable life. I mean, I'll say a little prayer for them, but I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to really let it get this into my heart. But at that moment, Nehemiah had a choice. He could kind of acknowledge the plight of his people. Oh, that's too bad. What a shame. I hate to hear that. I really feel bad for them, but I'm glad my life's okay. Or he could choose to let the pain in. Not just in his head, but his heart. To the point where it bothered him to stir of him and gave him a divine burden, an ache in his soul. 
When he heard the news, he didn't do what was the easy thing to do, brush it off. He sat down, he broke down, and he started to cry. I would ask you this. What breaks your heart? What is it that burdens you? What is it that creates this righteous anger on behalf of God? I mean, this isn't right, not on my watch. What is it that crushes your spirit when you look at some injustice, perhaps to a group of people or a need in this world? Why doesn't somebody do something about this? Maybe it's for you, it's the plight of hurting children. Maybe it's those children who can't read or those who have very special needs and need help and love. Or maybe it's those who have been bullied or neglected or those who have been abused. Maybe it's for it's those who are who are bound by addiction. Your heart breaks. They're hostage to drugs or they're trapped in a lustful world of pornography and you'll do anything to help them get free. Maybe it's homelessness. You see people that are really stuck in life and barely have their needs met and you want to do something about it. Maybe it's those who have been trafficked or abused their whole life. Maybe it's those who are impoverished and don't even have clean drinking water or a very and a simple mosquito net in another world or some drugs that would prevent this disease just for a few dollars and they don't have access to. And you see children and innocent people dying needless deaths because someone hasn't gotten there. Maybe you're like some people I know and you have a heart to get God's word into a native language of every living person today. You want to eradicate Bible poverty. Maybe you feel called to speak on behalf of the unborn. Someone needs to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that burdens your soul? You know, I remember, I'll tell you a story that shaked me really back when I was a young pastor. I would occasionally get to be a guest preacher for other churches that were really, really small and couldn't get any better than me. And so I would go to this one church on the other side of town, and I preached for the first service. And there was this guy in the service, the only way I know how to describe it is that he had what I call a mad vein. There was a vein in his forehead that just perpetually proclaimed, I'm mad at the world. You know how some Christians, when they read the Bible, they get all loving and full of grace, and others of them get angry and mad veins? I don't know why, but this guy had a mad vein, and I was preaching. I would even tell a funny story instead of smiling. The mad vein would just get bigger. Well, after the first service, we went out to greet the people and were leaving and greet the people that were coming into the next service, and the receptionist came up and all excited and said, oh my gosh, we have a guest coming. Evidently, that didn't happen too often. She said, you better be good in the next service, really implying that maybe I wasn't good in the first one. Maybe that's why the vein was there, right? You better be good. We got a guest coming. We got a guest coming. Well, I was outside with the mad vein guy who was chosen to be the greeter, which might be one reason the church was very small. And I saw the guest drive up. The reason I know she was a guest was because her car didn't look like anybody else's car. And when she got out, she wasn't dressed like anyone else. Everyone else had very nice, formal clothes on. She honestly looked like she'd probably slept in her outfit. She looked like life had been very, very hard to her. I I couldn't be more excited to welcome her into church. And as she was walking up, God is my witness, Mad Vane guy stepped in front of me and said to her, 
Young lady, is that the best outfit you have? Because in our church, we wear our best for God. She looked so broken, so ashamed. She turned around faster than I could catch her. She got in her car and she sped off. I mean, I could barely preach the next service. I drove all the way home in my little red truck, crying my eyes out. But I was so disturbed, so broken, so righteously angered on the behalf of God's grace, who welcomes all people from all races, from all parts of life. And on that day, I made a promise. If I ever get to lead my own church, we won't have a dress code. It's simple, man. Please just put something on. Come to the house of the Lord. Because I'll tell you, that is not the God I serve. Our God loves people where they are. And he invites them, whoever so is thirsty, come in into the presence of God. You know, what breaks yours? What breaks your heart? Let it in. Let it crush you. Let it move you. Sit down to cry. Listen to me. I don't worry when every now and then something breaks my heart and moves me to the point of tears. I worry when it's been a long time when that hasn't happened. I want my heart to be tender, to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? You sit down to cry. The second thing you do is you kneel down to pray. You kneel down to pray. Nehemiah says this, For some days I mourned and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Listen to me, guys. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Sometimes we just say the most insulting things to God, our God, like, all we can do now is pray. I mean, can you imagine God sitting in heaven going, oh, well, man, all you can do is pray? I mean, it's down to me now? All you got is me, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God? Me? The all things are possible with me, God? All you can do is pray? Well, you're screwed now. No, no. Well, there's just one of me. God plus one is always a majority. We go before the God of heaven. If we invoke his power in prayer, Nehemiah cries out to God in verse 5. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, and he keeps his commands. God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. If you watch Nehemiah's prayer and read on, he confesses his own sin. He confesses the sin of his people. He reminds God of God's promises and God's faithfulness. And after he's mourned and he's fasted and he prays, he goes before the king and asks permission. He goes, I honor you. My heart will always be with you. But would you grant me permission to leave where I am to go back to the people and try to rebuild. Verse 11, he talks to God about the king and says, God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You watch him pray over and over and over again. I hope you'll understand that what you pray about really reflects what you believe about God. If your only prayers are, God bless his food and keep me safe and give me a good day, you really don't believe the real powerful God. But when you ask God to stretch you, to use you, when you pray for the impossible, God move, do miracles, bring healing, God spark revival, 
Use me, God, to meet someone's needs? You believe in the power and the glory of a good God. What's so interesting to me about Nehemiah is that actually this is the first of 12 prayers that we see he prayed in the book of Nehemiah. There's 12 we know about. That means he would have prayed hundreds, maybe thousands. This is the first of 12. We see it at the beginning of his story. We see it all the way through the middle. And the last thing he's doing is praying. And he goes before God. What I love about him is you're going to see in these upcoming weeks, he is a leadership genius. He's practical in every way. He studies, he strategizes, he casts vision, and he delegates. He is a leadership genius. And yet everything he does is faith with an intimate, faith-filled prayer before his good God. How do you begin the good work when you can't take it anymore? You let it into your heart, and you sit down, and you cry. Then at some point, you kneel down, and you pray. And once your heart's been broken, and you've sought the goodness of God, here's the third thing. You stand up and act. What do you do? What do you do? You sit down and cry, kneel down and pray, and you stand up to act. Nehemiah takes the cup and goes to visit the king. His heart is heavy, and the king can tell. So in verse 4, the king says to him, Nehemiah, what is it you want? Then watch him again. Here we go. He puts up a little prayer. Here it comes. Then the, I prayed to the God of heaven. He prays again, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if it's your servant has found favor in your sight, let him, let him send me to the city of Judea where my ancestors are buried. Why? So I can rebuild the wall. My people are hurting. The walls are down. The city is exposed. I can't sit around and do nothing. Somebody's got to do something about this. It might as well be me. Stand up to act. I don't know who this is going to talk to, but there's somebody, somebody out there listening. Something bothers you. Maybe you've tried to keep it at a distance, but now you're going to let it in. You're going to feel the pain. You're going to let it wreck you. You're going to let the burden overwhelm you. And you're going to sit down to ache and cry about it. And then you're going to get into your prayer closet in your prayer palace. And you're going to sit there and pray and invoke the power of the God of heaven. And then at some point, God's promises you. And you're going to have the faith to stand up and act. But who am I, right? I'm not the pastor. I'm not trained. I don't have a lot of experience. Listen to me, hear it and feel it. You do not have to be appointed by man if you are called by God. I better say that again. You don't have to be appointed by man if you are called by God. You don't have to be chosen by people if God prompts your heart, stirs in your spirit, gives you a burden. Just step into it. Trust him and watch him act. Feel the presence of God stirring you. It breaks your heart. Why does it break your heart? Because perhaps you, just like Nehemiah, an ordinary guy in every other extent, was chosen by God to step into a burden and to start the good work. He didn't finish it alone. He didn't do it alone. But it didn't happen until he started it. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? You sit down and you cry. You kneel down and you pray. Someone has to stand up and act. So today, Father, we ask by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us today. Stir up some people, God, in your church to do your work. Those of, 
of you that are followers of Christ and you want to be even more open to what God might do through you. You're available. You'll let the pain in. You'll let it break you. You'll ask God to use you. And if you believe God uses ordinary people just like me and just like you, and you want God to do more through you, right where you are, right where you're listening, man, I don't know if it's just the act of lifting your hand, but putting this and making it, doing something. Say, God, use me. You put this burden there. Allow me to stand up and begin to act. I hope that God will use this message and stir something in you today. I really believe that God wants to move more now and ever in the church. We just got to be broken. We got to cry, pray, and stand. I hope that you have a blessed rest of your week. Come, join us next week as we continue in this amazing story about Nehemiah. God bless you, and again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to today's message. You can hear all of Pastor Chris's messages at www.godmode.life. Join us next week as we continue on in this series. Please leave a review of this podcast at podchaser.com. God steps upon the scene. God can fix everyone in any in between. He said Jesus to shed his blood to intervene. He took your dirty lungs so you could be clean. Do y'all understand what I mean? You got to have faith unseen. Do Christ like to do all things. Now bring it to the altar, see what I mean.